Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on of Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, who's been drawing Peppa Pig on hard-boiled eggs. And I'm Jacqueline Berto, who spent the week working on my scrapbook, which is full of stickers. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who are running in the sunshine with your bronze feathers shining in the autumn light. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week we have calls from... Tracy, who is unimpressed by Ian and by baking rags into cakes. Laura, who has a prediction she does not want to come true. Jen, who still doesn't like Helen. Marie, who is nursing a broken knee, poor thing. Globe-trotting Richard, who wonders why Oliver isn't being his usual shrewd self. And he doesn't want to sound nasty, but... Jane, a first-time caller in or from Devon, who has had enough of guinea pigs. And Witherspoon who's brought his couch to Ambridge. Plus, we have the week in Ambridge by Suey, who is battling with what sounds like quite a nasty cold, a round-up of the Facebook group by Rob, and the three Twitter gongs, bronze, silver and gold, from Theo. But before Jacqueline and I start chatting too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened this week with a round-up of the week in Ambridge from our Suey. Hello, lovely people. It's Suey, good old tart here. Excuse my voice, I have a horrible cold. It's time for a quick reminder of what happened this week at Ambridge. Lee bounced between being the good guy and the bad guy, depending on what mood Helen was in. There was a lot of shouting. She confided in Kirsty that she's planning to chuck him, but he gained a temporary reprieve on Friday, and he's taking everybody off on a family day. Henry turned out to have been the one who graffitied the church and had to confess to Alan. We still don't know what the word was that he wrote. 
If only he'd done his own PE kit, he would never have been found out. He was set to work tidying the churchyard. Alan was proper understanding. If only Henry had got some counselling sometime in the last five years or so. He's now being rewarded for his behaviour. What strange mixed messaging. Eddie worked out that Carrie Love would be perfect as the witch after she repeatedly thwacked him around the head with the suggestion. He really is thick as two short blanks sometimes. There are a lot of guinea pigs in the Grundy's lives. Poppy turns out to be a chip off the old block and has sold the pups to her friends in the playground, which led to an awkward, unheard encounter between George and Tilly Button when he thought he was onto a good thing, but she had only come over with her multiple younger siblings to choose a pup. Pip and Stella have launched themselves out of the closet into village life and were going to pop out of a cake at the Grey Gables launch with streamers and fireworks and a banner saying they're the bestest gay couple ever, but they were thwarted. The gala was called off by Oliver and Lindy Bottom as the hotel turns out to have been subject to Messrs. Bodget and Scarper. Ian went nuclear over the kitchen, which he's clearly not walked into since he was taken on in August, and Ardil has gone into hiding taking everything he owns from Ambridge Hall and leaving a note claiming a family emergency. Oliver is likely to have to sell Grange Farm to raise quarter of a million quid to put into the business. Emma and Ed will be okay at the mobile home, but it sounds like number two, the green, is going to be really very full. Take that, George. Aren't you glad you moved now? The scriptwriters, I have never forgiven you for what Joe and did with the hammer to the ferrets on the way to Meadow Rise. Don't you dare kill off any more of their animals it's be interesting all in all a very odd week until next week then my lovelies and i hope it's a good thank you so much for that suey and i hope that you are spending the weekend tucked up in bed and being waited on hand and foot until you get better <laughs> so jacqueline what have you been up to this week oh well it's been a week of two halves for me i had a day out in the smoke if you can call ren the smoke we don't often go to cities, but there's a what the French call a salon, and it's for building materials. So I was invited to go shopping with Mr. B at a building exhibition. I thought, a bit of art. It was called Arty Bat, so, you know, no, it wasn't at all. It was definitely diggers and large machinery and little machinery. It was fun because of, I didn't realise how many people know my husband. <laughs> so that was an eye-opener. I've been reminded him for 12-odd years, known him for 15 and I never accompanied him to many businessy things, but as he's not driving at the mo, I'm doing all the driving, so that was why I got my invite. The other half of the week was spent dealing with an English guy that came into my remit because he doesn't speak French, hospitalised following a car accident, and keys to his house were given so I could go and feed his cats. He has what the French called call a syndrome de diogène. Do we say that in English? It's a hoarder's syndrome. And he told me that there are lots of veg and things, and he's been in hospital for over a week now, and he's not, there's no sign of him coming home in the next week. So my dear and lovely friend, ever-suffering, long-suffering friend, Tracy Hart, a good friend of this podcast, and she follows on Facebook, came with me, and we manned, manly emptied bridges, etc., of everything that was vaguely rotting. And she doesn't like cats either, and there are billions of cats. So there we go. So that's, a, that's, that's the contrast of my week. What about you, Stephen? It's been a fairly quiet week. I was going up to London last night for a, a concert, but rain meant that all the trains from here to London had been cancelled or were cancelled during the day. So I was stuck at home, tidying the place up, getting ready for my kitchen to be installed. I'm gradually 
emptying things out of the existing kitchen, trying to find places to put everything. Uh, I haven't yet started filling up the bath with tins <laughs> and, and so forth, but that will be coming fairly soon. And they're, they're due to start work in a couple of weeks' time. So you've got time to, to get it all cleared out. And then it'll be takeaways for a week or two? About four weeks, I think, in total huh. with no kitchen. So yes, it'll be takeaways and supermarket sandwiches and tedious stuff like that. Ah. I'm going to have to find somewhere to put the espresso machine because yeah. I certainly can't go four weeks without an espresso capability <laughs> at home. Uh, certainly with recording this so early on a Saturday morning for you, you definitely need at least one espresso, if not two. Absolutely. Right. That's enough about us. Let's get Indeed. on to the important bit, which is you, our lovely caller innerers. Hello, Ambridge3962. And first up, we have a return call from Tracy in California. Tracy from California here. Okay, first of all, I don't know who the Ian thinks he is telling the construction workers that they have to pull everything out and start over. He doesn't have that authority. He's a consultant. He's supposed to give his findings to the leadership, and then they make a decision about what they want to do. He doesn't have the authority to go tell them anything. So he was completely in the wrong and arrogant about it. He blows up their whole project and then he's like, I'm going to pick up Zander. I'm like, what? Like I, that, I was floored. So yeah, that was very weird to me. And the builders leaving, the builders, any normal builder would have been like, who are you? <laughs> you don't have the authority to do that. Not to mention, it's not like he couldn't have seen the cabinets and everything. He's been there the whole time. So what was he doing when they were installing everything? Now they finished the kitchen and he's like, no, it's all wrong. Take it all out. You saw the plan and you saw those cabinets coming into being. Anyway, that's one. Two, and I now know that in England, people bake rags into bread. That's very weird to me. And it's going to take me a minute to get used to this. But lastly, I think most importantly, I'm concerned that they're having some sort of climax coming up and something like Rob, there's going to be a Rob climactical moment happening on Halloween. And I hope they don't do that. that. That's just my feeling in my gut. I hope they don't do that because Rob's not a hobgoblin. He's an example of a real person or a real type of person and a real phenomenon in our various societies with patriarchy and intimate partner violence. So they need to keep him real. So I hope they don't do that. But anyway, those are my thoughts. Well, thank you for that call, Tracy. I think you're being a bit unfair on Ian, to be honest. He does have a certain amount of authority. He is head of food. And I think that means that he's got the overall responsibility, not just for buying in the food and so forth, but his team contains the chef and all the other, the sous chef and the, the rest of the kitchen staff. So I think that he does have an interest in how the kitchen works. And also, I don't think that it was him who was mucking around. I suspect that Ardil had been changing the plans for the kitchen because of his desire for what he called culinary theatre, which is a great idea for, as Ian said at one point, Instagram and so forth, but not really for running an efficient kitchen. But I think we've got some more on who does what at Grey Gables, because the whole thing does seem to be in total chaos. So what do you think, Jeff? I'm going to go on to the baking of rags into bread. Firstly, it's not a real, really a bread. And we've got a history in the UK and in, in Europe, certainly, of baking charms of different kinds into puddings or in England it's a Christmas pudding, isn't it? People put a charm in. Here it's a galette de roi, which is a kind of a puff pastry filled with almond cream with things baked into it. 
But I, I honestly, I can honestly say the rag was a surprise to me as well. I didn't know. I thought maybe it would be silver charms shaped like a rag, shaped like a ring, whatever. But no, not a piece of cloth. I wouldn't go for that either. It's an Irish yeah. Halloween tradition, balm rag. And it, it is a sort of bread. It's an enriched fruit Enriched bread. dough, yeah. And traditionally, you used to have quite a few things. A pea, a stick, a piece of cloth or rag, a small coin, a ring and a bean. And each of them has its own meanings. And, and most of them were not great, actually. If you got the pea, you weren't going to marry that year. <laughs> Don't know why not. If you got the stick, you'd have an unhappy marriage oh, or dear. continually be in dispute. The, cl the cloth or the rag would mean that you had bad luck or would be poor. The coin, on the other hand, one of the few good ones, you get good fortune or be rich. The ring, of course, which Alistair got, meant that you would get married in the year. And the bean was another one that said, basically, you'd have a future without any money. So <laughs> I think the thing is no probably beans. not to have any balm brack at all. No, exactly. But it's quite interesting that one slice produced a, a charm for Alistair, because, in fact, in my fairly limited knowledge of cutting into cakes and managing to distribute it in eight slices. Um, it's very rare that everybody gets something. But I think barn brackets done, they do small individual ones and each one does have a charm oh, of some sort oh, in them. Well, there you are, you see. should have looked that up before we came on air, shouldn't I? <laughs> and Tracy's final point was about whether there's going to be something around Rob at Halloween. So I'm not convinced that the scriptwriters would make that sort of Halloween ghost story, monster story type stuff work like that. I, I like Tracy, I, I hope they don't because it would be a bit artificial. Yeah, I agree. And as a very good point, Tracy, this man, Rob Titchener, is such an evil, horrible person and exists already in many forms in our world. To make him into a hobgoblin figure around the 31st, around Halloween, would be. A disaster, and I do hope, seriously hope, that the scriptwriters don't do that. Thank you for that call, Tracy. Do keep calling. And we'll now move on to Laura. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Laura from Bedfordshire here with a prediction that I hope doesn't happen, but I'm really worried about happening. So I'm sending this message after listening to Tuesday's episode. I am just very worried that Grey Gable's storyline I know we've spoken a lot about possibly some sort of showdown with Rob at the opening or some other drama there. I'm now worried that perhaps actually the end of the Grey Gable storyline is going to be the end of Oliver. I really don't want it to be the case, but I'm just conscious of how stressed he is this week. I think there's been quite a weariness in the character's voice. Again, we've heard that, I think it was yesterday or perhaps Sunday with Eddie in the pub. The pressure is really mounting on him and him alone. And I am just so worried that possibly there's a heart attack or even some sort of perhaps like stress-induced stroke. I don't know medically if that's possible. On the cards for Oliver, I suppose in a way it could be a, a neat ending to his character. I'm not actually 100% sure how old he is. But yeah, I'm just, it just came to me listening to the story tonight and just the stress with Ian and how overwhelmed he is with the whole situation, understandably, in Adol's absence. I can't believe he's buying Adol being away on a family emergency, but there we are. As I say, I'm just very worried it could be a bit of a tragic end to Oliver as the ultimatum of the Grey Gables storyline. We're left with a Grey Gables possibly not open and also possibly no Oliver. Hope it doesn't happen, but yeah, let's see what the rest of this week holds. 
Thanks, everyone. Bye. Yeah, thanks for that, Laura. Yeah, I agree. This is building up to Oliver being very stressy. And by that was on Tuesday when Laura called in. But by Friday, we now know that he's got to raise 250000 to carry on with the other partners to put everything right with Grey Gables. This will break him, probably, in more ways than one. Um, and I'm seriously concerned about Oliver. It's been earmarked by everybody. You're looking tired. You're looking stressed. So yeah, it's one of those scenarios that um, we can see rolling out before our eyes, which is typically the archers. We see that quite often, get all the hints. And then if it does come about, yeah, I'm very sad because the actor's been in the show for a long time now, and but he is getting on a bit, I believe. Laura was wondering how old Oliver was, and we don't have an official date of birth or anything like that, but I've been asking around, and the general consensus is he was probably about 10 years older than Caroline, and Caroline would be 68 by now if she'd been still been alive, and so that makes Oliver late 70s. So yeah, he really ought to be retiring, putting his feet up. When he sold his share of Grey Gables, Ardil noted to him that he had just received a very large amount of money. So it's clear that he didn't have to reinvest all his the money he got from it back into the business or anything like that. Perhaps he should have walked away from Grey Gables at that point and started to enjoy his life to the extent that he could without Caroline, rather than get heavily involved in his corner of responsibilities, whatever those are. He remarked, I think, towards the end of the week that his corner of the work was going fine and it was Ardil's area yeah. that wasn't. We did finally get some mention of the partners who are, must be the 60% owners, but I think we've got another call about who those might be coming up. Yeah, and there's a great discussion that probably started last night on the Facebook page, on the Dumpton Facebook page, about what did Oliver do with the money? Lots of flights of fancy, as we expect from our Dumpty Dummers, but uh, also quite a lot of practical questions. And, of course, it's Ambridge Fairy time. He didn't buy Grange Farm because he'd already, he already bought had that, that had no. it, yes. Yeah. We don't know what happened to that money. Maybe we'll find out. Mm. Next up, we have Jen, who, if you remember, doesn't like Helen. Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dumland. It's Jen here. Just calling in once again to vent or as Helen put it this week, to overshare. But we can't overshare because we're all friends. So you are my friends and this is my dum dum support group to say, once again, I don't like Helen. I really don't like Helen. And she's been, I get once again, particularly obnoxious this week. I do like Lee. He's such a nice guy. He's been so good to Helen and he has a few issues. I mean, he wears white trainers, which doesn't really bother me. And he's maybe not the sharpest tool and there are the action figures which are worrying but he's a lovely guy yes he brought some baggage to the relationship too the the major baggage that lee brought to the relationship has been safely dispatched to california so she doesn't really have much to complain about on that front but she doesn't like his deodorant so the poor man is dealing with all of helen's trauma helen's eating disorder helen's crazy coercive controlling ex with a brain tumour who might kidnap the kids at any moment and she's grumbling about stinky trainers and him not wanting to slather himself in organic paste which sounds vile so anyway yeah just calling in to say frankly she doesn't deserve him and i don't like helen thank you jen yes you clearly 
don't like Helen. And I have to say that some of her behavior this week has been absolutely awful. And I think that whole relationship between her and Lee is in a very rocky patch indeed. I can't see what's keeping Lee in that relationship. I think that for Helen, it was a really good relationship to get into at a time when she was looking for stability, ordinariness, dullness, and so forth. And Lee provides that in large quantities. But I'm not sure what Lee was looking for. And I think that the way that Helen has reacted to his daughters on the one hand and her sons on the other is very worrying. I think that she's got a very sort of self-focused view of the world and everybody around her is it only exists in relation to her and her needs and her problems, which she's in denial about. I really would say do run Lee, even though running at this time of year is not a good idea because it's very muddy and mud and white trainers don't go very well together. <laughs> very true, Stephen. Well, Jen, like you, uh, I'm not a Helen fan, and I know I've been berated in the past by Witherspoon. I think even Witherspoon might have got a bit exasperated with uh, Helen this week. Now, why does Lee stay? Those boys, he's built up a great relationship with them. We saw that this week, that he ha was having fun playing games He's with Henry. They actually, we heard them talking together, that the actor that plays Henry He's just turning out to be a real little star, isn't he? Great acting, great interaction with both Alan and his mom, and then with Lee. So I think Lee's staying around because of the boys, but Helen is building up to push him away. That conversation he had with Kirsty, which was so irritating, the small thing. She even talked about the sweets that he was eating. Do you remember when she was, they were in the traffic jam on the way back? We had that irritated conversation between them. And one of the things she said, Do you have to eat the sweets so loudly? It's niggly things. Yes, it, it really is. And I think that those are, are signs underlying this. Is a There isn't really a sound basis for that relationship. And I think that no. now that Helen has been put under stress and reacted to that stress from Rob's parents, really not very well at all, though not as badly as Pat, no. I think that it's time for a fundamental reassessment. Definitely. It's doomed. Let's have our next call, which is from Marie. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen, all dumpty dummers. It's Marie Bray from Winchester. Haven't called in for a long time, I know. I'm currently nursing a fractured knee and having to do stretches every day. So I'm just in a, a pose at the moment, trying to bend my legs and thought I'd give you a ring. And yeah, basically a couple of things. First of all, Lark Rise to Ambridge. Oh, it was really charming. Thoroughly enjoyed both the episodes. And I'm a huge fan of historical dramas. And uh, yeah, it really ticked all the boxes for me. And I'll leave it a, a year maybe and then I'll get the book because by then I'll, I'd have forgotten plotline. Um, the other thing is too with our lovely Brad. I think he really does need to go to the best uni he can get into, not only for the academic achievement, but the fact that he will have peers who will inspire him and also historical buildings and a historical place is good for inspiration as well. And if he's not ready to go now, then why doesn't he take a gap year, do a bit of work, maybe if he can feel ready to do a little bit of traveling perhaps and just have that extra year to get his head round actually leaving Ambridge. I think we're doing the world good. Anyway, bye for now. 
and uh, speak to you soon. Bye. Thanks for that. Oh, poor you, Marie. A fractured knee. Oh, sounds very painful. Well, I hope that gets better soon, very soon. I'm with you on the Lark Cries. I thoroughly enjoyed the Lark Cries production. I recommend reading the book. As I said before, I read it a long time ago, read it not so long ago and read it, reread it this last week. So just to top up my enjoyment of it. Moving on to Brad. Yeah, I think we all agreed that going off to university would be the best thing for him to do a pure maths degree for his future and for his brain, really. I don't know about a gap year. I've never been a great fan of gap years, but maybe it would suit him. Maybe even if he stayed in the village and went to work every day in Lower Loxley, that would help him build his confidence dealing with people there. I don't know. What do you think, Stephen? I think a gap year would have advantages. The trouble is, I don't know, he couldn't afford to go travelling around the world unless he was lucky enough to find a ship that needed a crew member the way that Johnny has done and sail across the Atlantic to South America. But otherwise, I'm not sure what he would do with a gap year. I think that he would feel constantly a need to provide for the the rest of the family. I think that they still are very short of money, so anything that he could do to contribute would help, or alternatively, just to build up some savings for when he's at university. But I can see that if he's a bit nervous about going, another year might help. He might see Mia going off to university and getting a feel for what that's like for her. But on the other hand, if she goes and he doesn't, then they will inevitably, I think, grow apart as they have very different experiences. And any growing that Mia does will be growing away from Brad, whereas if they're both at university, they'd be growing together and in parallel. Yeah. Hmm. So one of those things to watch, isn't it? Yes. As for the best university, I have said it before, I think Warwick is extremely good at maths and it's about the right distance away. The trouble is it doesn't have any historic buildings on campus. The campus has got a fantastic performing arts centre, but it's generally just a set of modern buildings. But he could probably live somewhere reasonably nice like Leamington Spa and that might give him the atmosphere of and an inspirational place, gardens yeah. to walk in and so on. And Warwick has got its castle and gardens and, you know, I think in a, an old town, towny way, I think Warwick sounds ideal, even though it's a bit like Lancaster University. Very modern campus, great cycle rides, routes to into the historical town centre. So, yeah, and calm, quiet cities, I would say. Yes. From experience, rather than frenetic, like Durham's pretty fr- frenetic. Oxford and Cambridge can be. And Newcastle oh. as well. And, and Oh, London, Newcastle's just a nightmare. Sorry, sorry, people from Newcastle. <laughs> so those are the first four calls, but there are more where they came from, and we'll be hearing those very soon. Now, if you would like to become a caller in or like Tracy, Laura and the others, you'd be more than welcome. There are three ways you can get involved. The first option is to record a message or plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com. Dum dum. Don't forget that T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or a message via WhatsApp on 07810-012-881 or plus 44 and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. Or finally, you can email us. We have a fairly new email you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views. Maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is dumptydum at mail.com. 
do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. And don't worry about trying to write all that down now, as we've provided links to those three ways of contributing in the show notes for this episode. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, let's get back to our calls. And coming up next is Richard. About Greg Abel's Richard here, of course, on the way to Madrid. Oh, a nice quiet room. Thursday evening. I was just going to comment on how absurd it is that Oliver isn't in touch with his business partners invested in the hotel. It's not only implausible, it's downright illegal for him to have gone into business without identifying the ultimate beneficial owners of whatever entity put all the cash in. We've heard in earlier episodes that Idol's their representative, but who hired Idol? What is his job description as a manager stroke leader? is beyond belief that he could be so unprofessional he could go off the job without leaving contact details or any arrangements for what's going to happen when he's away. Obviously, it sounds like he's borderline having a full-blown nervous breakdown, but that's because he's been appointed to a job for which he doesn't seem to be properly qualified. Anyway, Oliver ought to know, not ought to know, must know with whom he signed the contract when the investment agreement was negotiated and that Oliver doesn't know what to do, including calling the boss of the person who's let you down. The people who hired him just doesn't stack up. I wonder if that's going to cross his befuddled old line, because normally Oliver's quite shrewd about Lee and Helen. It's slightly, I feel a bit sorry for hopeless Lee that having stood through a lot of thin with Helen now as she's gradually getting her act together, she's discovering that he's not that attractive. His plaintive bleats about it not being about him and then talking about all the stuff he's done are understandable or regrettable. I'm not quite sure when the storyline evolves, but I suspect Lee leaves the village and Helen becomes one of the least illegible dating partners, but who knows. Bye. Richard, again, just realised my last remark closed on the two minutes with me potentially sounding a bit misogynistic, Ray. Helen's eligibility as a possible partner. She's obviously on an upward trajectory, having spent years being uninsightful and self-obsessed for understandable reasons. I suppose she could be 
some man or woman's dream partner as she starts developing insight and seeing things from other people's point of view and having more of a lighthearted and humoristic approach to life. She's definitely on a journey, but I didn't want to sign off thinking that just because Helen's awful, she's not a lot better than she was. Who knows? She may be everyone's dream desert island companion. I'm not persuaded yet, but I don't want to sound nasty. Bye. Thank you for that call, Richard. You talked about it possibly being illegal for Oliver to go into business without knowing who the beneficial owners of the 60% share of Grey Gables are. Now, I th this is something that's been discussed on the Facebook group and elsewhere about the supposedly mysterious owners of Grey Gables, but I'm not sure that they're mysterious at all. We don't know who they are, but when Oliver announced the sale of his share in April 2022, he didn't seem to think that it was mysterious at all. He said he was stepping down from day-to-day -day running the hotel. He'd be replaced by the new owner's representative, which is Ardil. And he said that Ardil and the new owners had a very exciting vision for the hotel with extensive refurbishment and that they'd be closing for at least 12 months while well, it's now getting on for 18 months. I don't think that there was any mystery then. Nobody in Ambridge has been saying, isn't it strange, we don't know who these people are. And for all we know, the name of those partners the 60% partner, could be all over the billboards that presumably surround mm -hmm. Grey Gables, announcing that it's undergoing a refurbishment, that it will be reopening in November as a unique place, unlike anywhere else in the county, all that sort of stuff. So I don't think there is necessarily anything underhand or untoward. And indeed, we did hear Oliver saying that he had been talking to the partners, presumably Ardil's bosses, the 60% owners, about the need to put in a, a big slug of further investment into the hotel to fix all the problems that they've got. And if Oliver is being asked to put in £250,000, then the owners are putting in presumably about £350,000 to balance out that 40-60 ownership, to keep the ownership as it is. I would have thought that Oliver would have had the opportunity to have his share diluted because it is in nobody's interest for the thing to go bust completely. So if he couldn't raise the 250000 they could raise the 250000 as well and just up their ownership from 60% to whatever is appropriate, 75% or so on. But of course, it does leave un unanswered that question we had before about where Oliver's awful lot of money, as Ardell described it, has gone. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you on everything you said there, but I also it's one of those tropes that we see and we in the Twitter sphere, the dumpty-dum land and elsewhere, we always want to know more information than we're given, yes. But as you say, nobody in Ambridge is discussing it. It's bound to be on the billboards. It's bound to be on the planning permission signs, etc., etc. So it's not a mystery to those in Ambridge. It's just a mystery to us. But it is a slightly irritating mystery to me because, you know, it would be quite nice to know who these people are and actually is there going to be their involvement as far as Ambridge is concerned. Now, going on to Richard's second point, which is about Lee. I did call him, I did describe him as hopeless, Lee. I don't think Lee's hopeless, Richard. Sorry, I beg to differ with you on that one. I think he's doing a very good job with Henry in particular, because we don't hear him with Jack. But he's always occupying those boys. Helen leaves him to get on with stuff with the boys, gets on with making dinner. He gets on, puts them, the Jack to bed if she's not there, if she's happened to have strayed chatting to Kirsty in the woods or whatever. So I don't think he's hopeless, but as I said earlier... I think he should run for the hills. Yes, he definitely should. Richard was suggesting that Helen is improving and, and maturing and 
almost. I'm not sure she is. Her first question on hearing that Greg Abels was in deep, deep trouble was what it meant for her cheese and vegetable contracts rather than what it might mean for Oliver as an individual, what it might mean for other people that she knows who work there, like Mm. Roy. She just seems to have focused entirely on her business. She's not in a healthy place, and I do think that the relative calmness that she has shown in respect to things like Rob's christening invitation are because she's self-medicating in an unapproved way. Mm. But we'll get a perhaps a more professional view on Helen a little bit later on. <laughs> Shall we move on to our next call, which is from a first-time caller in her, which is Jane from Devon. I love The Archers. I've been listening since I was four years old. And the storylines are good sometimes, sometimes they're weak. At the moment, please, 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 can the writers stop talking about guinea pigs? And I'm fed up with listening to the lark rise to Candleford. Come on, you're not that thin on the ground for storylines. Either develop Rob Titchener into being a complete liar and he's made up the whole thing about his illness or get us a nice, salacious storyline to get our teeth into. Signing off from Gavin. Well, thank you very much, Jane. I love someone who, a new, a first time caller in is extra special, but also when she starts by saying, I love the archers. Yes, so do we. That's why we're here, isn't it, Stephen? It is. <laughs> I agree with you about the guinea pigs. I dislike rodents intensely. I'm just not interested. I don't even find it cute, that squeaking noise that they had. But I have to say, the fact that George got his comeuppance thinking that Tilly Button was coming round to him and he threw poor Brad out in such an unseemly way after Brad had given up his evening, having been persuaded by George that it was rubbish that he should be going off to see Mia, that she actually came with all her cousins, her little cousins, to look and buy uh, guinea pigs. Good for guinea pigs for uh, getting George into a difficult, awkward, unhopeful place. Whenever the buttons are mentioned or they appear, there seem to be more of them. It used to be just <laughs> Molly Button and then Molly and Tilly. And then and we then discovered Billy. that there was Billy as well. And now there are all these Button cousins as well. <laughs> um, and we also had it revealed that the parents are called Archie and Fleur. That yes. wasn't so long ago. I think, though, unfortunately for Jane, there are going to be guinea pig stories for a while yet until they're all sorted out. Mm. And on top of that, I think that while we have got rid of Light Rise to Candleford, so that's one of Jane's things that she doesn't like gone, I don't think that Rob is lying about what's up with him. I do think that he is genuinely ill. So I think that we are heading towards his eventual demise, but I'm not quite sure how long that's going to take. He's about at the limit of what the doctor said would be his how long he had left, and he's still moving around. He hasn't been bedridden yet so he's not quite ready to drop dead but jane was also wishing for a salacious storyline what kind of salacious storyline could you imagine have we had an affair recently not recently have we so it'd be a matter of deciding who might have an affair with whom though those can be a bit tedious yeah i don't didn't mind it when we could hear lillian having her affair was that on The Archers or was that on Archers Extra? I can't remember now. I liked it when we heard Lillian having an affair with Paul. Matt's brother, Paul. Yeah, 
But And we knew also, then we saw our interactions in the village at the same time. But I, I'm getting confused now. Mm. Uh, my lack of full knowledge, Stephen, sorry, coming through for that. It may be, that, of course, that uh, whatever Ardeal has been up to becomes pretty salacious. Mm. And I think that both Ardeal and indeed Lillian are back next week. So we might have all kinds of stuff going on with those two, not necessarily those two together, but either of those are capable of throwing up interesting uh, and engaging storylines. So maybe, Jane, you will get your salaciousness. <laughs> Good to hear that Lillian will be back next week. Yes. And now it's time for our final call of the week. And it starts like this. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. Caller entering prior to Friday's episode. I think I need to get my British work visa and fly over to Ambridge to assemble a team of crack dumpty dum therapists. Our waiting room is getting very crowded. I'm going to talk about several people. First and briefly, George and Brad. George, you're bravado with women and you're blaming others for your lack of success. So superficially cover great insecurity in these areas. Brad, whose separation anxiety I talked about last week, when George says jump, Stop asking how high. Where have you gone, Ardo? You have an appointment scheduled with me, and you no-showed. He is a true psychological mystery. He always gives the impression of hyper-competence, and early last week I thought he had turned a corner when he apologized to Kenton and Linda, but then he quickly ran straight away from the challenges he was facing. Actually, very disappointing. Hopefully very soon we will finally discover what makes him tick. Now in our waiting room, a couple, Pip and Stella. Actually, I'll just give them some support in the face of a lot of dumpty dum naysayers. I have no problem with Pip wearing what she wants and how she is telling her friends and family that she and Stella are a couple. She's a 30-year-old coming out to herself and others, and even if it's 2023, it's still a process fraught with anxiety. I recall the task of coming out one person at a time when I was in my mid-twenties. I was petrified. Oh, one more couple to see, and the most challenging, Helen and Lee. Helen, you have much work to do. Stop projecting your anger for years of being controlled by your mother and then by men onto your body via controlling your eating and now onto Lee. But I do hope they make it as a couple. Talk to you soon. Thank you for that call, Witherspoon, and for that expert analysis of various issues around the village. I'm going to pick up on the one that we haven't said anything about at all so far, which is Pip and Stella. And I have actually been quite enjoying Pip going around the village, desperately trying to find somebody who will be shocked by the fact that she's come out as, as gay and in a relationship with Stella. I do think, to be fair to her, it, is, it must be a very big deal for Pip, even if it doesn't appear to be that big a deal for anybody else. So we had Alastair who just said, oh, jolly, jolly well done, good for you. We had Rosie apparently bouncing up and down and being very excited about it. And then we had Jill, whose reaction was, I think, probably quite a teasing one about asking Pip whether that meant that she was non-binary and had new pronouns or anything like that. I'm not sure whether that was Jill who had confused herself by reading too much about various types of relationship or whether she knew what she was talking about and was just winding Pip up. But either way, nobody has 
come out and been shocked. There's nobody like Sid in the village who would be wanting to ban them from going to the pub or anything like that. So I think while Pip is still wondering about it herself, uh, the rest of the village seems to be taking it in their stride. But I've been enjoying that. Yeah, I've enjoyed that too. I think as I find actually Pip, her voice and her mannerisms are quite irritating to me. Alongside Helen, I, they're two characters that I dislike. But I have to say, I've thoroughly enjoyed it as well. And I've liked the conversations between them. The James Bond film and then the then it was Skyfall, the wheat being drilled. And yeah, just all good fun. I'm enjoying seeing those snippets of their life. The other one I wanted to talk about was Helen and Lee. I know we've already talked about them. But like Witherspoon, I would like their relationship to survive. I'd like them to carry on having a relationship to get over this blip. If only, because I think if Helen splits with Lee, what's going to happen with those boys? Poor Henry, poor Jack. They've got a father figure who's actually a decent, good, fun guy. He might not be the brightest in the box, but brightest button in the box. Is that what we say? Brightest star in the sky? Can't remember now. I can't remember idiom. Sharpest knife in the drawer. Ah, there you go. There you go. (laughs) I'm not. So maybe I feel quite sorry for Lee in some ways when people start going on about him being hopeless, etc. But no, I would like them to have a good long-term relationship, bringing up those boys uh, and probably helping them get some, especially Henry, to get some therapy from Witherspoon. Yes. To be fair, and we all know Helen has had a really bad time of it in the past. She had that relationship with Greg and he, like Lee, had daughters and he was divorced. And I think that he ended up killing himself because mm-hmm. he had his ex-wife was preventing him from seeing his daughters, one of whom, of course, later turned up and the whole business with Annette and her abortion was a, yeah. a bit of a mess. And then, of course, we had Rob. So, yeah, Helen has had a bad time of it. But I still worry that she's not really engaging with Lee properly. I'm sure that Witherspoon would say that she needed therapy or, or something like that. Whatever it is, she's she's not in a good place. No, and it's Henry. I think Henry will need, and probably Jack will need some kind of family therapy, some kind of bringing them to, I think Henry painting on the on the church door kind of proves that he needs um, some help. Yes, and he was conceived by Helen at a point when, I think that was just after Annette had had that abortion, yeah. and her motivation was that she wanted somebody who would love her, not that she wanted a child that she could love. It was a bit strange. And like Jen, I think Jen's pointed out that she doesn't appear to like, want to spend time. She says she loves her children, she wants to care for them, but not in a practical way. And she doesn't show them love. For me, as a mum, I would expect her to be more loving towards them. We don't see that. Maybe that happens off air. Let's, fingers crossed. Yes. Those are our calls for this week. Thank you so much for calling in. We love hearing from you, so do call again next week, or if you didn't call this week, do call next week. Now, did we receive any emails, WhatsApp messages this week? No, no messages by what, via WhatsApp or emails this week. In that case, let's move on to Facebook. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the new members of our Facebook group, who are 
Weekend Update, and that's Queek as in the noise guinea pigs make, and <laughs> Heather Jones. Mark Garfield, Matt Brieger, and Andrea Snadden. So, what's our Facebook group been talking about this week? Let's find out as we sit back for the roundup with that much nicer Rob. Hello there, everyone. It's the other much nicer Rob with the social media roundup. Regional accents and dialogue have tripped up some of our overseas listeners. T. Brown Artivist, C.A., was astounded by the Grundies. Okay, I'm positive they did not say what I... I'm going to need my Brit Talk translators on this one. I heard Clary say, Here's the bum crack, Eddie. And there was a rag stuck in it. I am so confused about what they were eating. And the part about the rag? What? Sally Wood cleared things up by pointing out that barmbrack is a fruit loaf with raisins. Apparently it's wrapped in a muslin cloth, hence the rag. Al Williams was not taken in by the Grundy world of nonsense. Eddie thinks he is an entrepreneur and a game changer. Lost the farm through laziness and incompetence and is only living there now because the family have taken advantage of Oliver's good nature stroke weak character. But that could all be about to come crashing down around their ears. As Jonah Titchmarsh said, Go for it, Oliver. Chuck the Grundies out. Al Williams is rapidly becoming our Grundy expert. As she pointed out, Looks like number one, the green, is going to be bursting at the seams. Eddie and Clary, William, George and Poppy. Still, over at the Horribin house, they used to have two adults and six children, and now have Tracy, Jazza, Chelsea, Brad and Bert. Very roomy, those 1930s council houses. Sarah Cossey had a different spanner to throw in the works. Am I the only one that thinks Helen is pregnant? Mood swings? Nothing that unusual, I know. Loss of appetite? And a heightened sense of smell? Complaining of Lee's deodorant and trainers? It must be time for a birth or two in Ambridge. Pip and Helen both birthing around Easter. And how will that scenario play out if Thursday's episode goes the way that a lot of our little family wanted to? Sarah Ferguson? The Sarah Ferguson? Obviously not. Said, Dear Lee, we all wondered when you were going to crack. Pierre Kelly chipped in with, I had a feeling Lee was going to be dumped out. Chris Gibson went with, Am I the only person who clapped at the end of today's episode? Finally, Lee, finally, leave her, leave her. But perhaps the most touching topic this week was the seemingly inevitable run-up to the announcement of Robert's passing. Al Williams said, Ah, Lindy Botts, that brought a tear to my eye. What a lovely couple. So sad that Graham has died. He was perfect as Robert. The only fly in the ointment for me and Steve Beach was a recipe. Boiled egg and hazelnut curry. Three foods I like separately, but together? Ah, well. And that is it for this week. I look forward to another week of fun and frolics on the Dumpty Dum Facebook pages and hope to be in touch with all of you there. Be warned, though, when the chat starts, you can be there for hours. Bye for now. Thank you so much, Rob, and thanks to everyone on the Dumpty Dum Facebook group. If you'd like to join them, please do. But don't forget to answer the very easy membership questions so that we know that you're a real person. Just going to that, that summary, we didn't talk about Alan, did we? Because Alan, I thought, played a blinder this week when he had the conversation with both Helen and with Henry, and nobody talked about, no, not one caller in or I called about it. Well, how did you find him? I thought that he was... Pretty good. I think several people have been saying that he somewhat goes down the, the, the middle and whatever the extremes are, he, he will find the, the middle course, regardless of whether that's the right course. But I think that he was good. I think that he dealt with Henry extremely well. 
Yeah, me too. Did we have any reviews this week, Stephen? We did. We received three reviews, and they were all five-star reviews. The first was from Andy Cuppati on Apple, and it's called Great Way to Start the Week, and it goes like this. I normally avoid anything that calls itself the people's, but Dumpty Dum is different. The emphasis on caller views and predictions and the roundup of social media chat is perfect. Archer's listeners have opinions about everything, and it's good to hear from people who might have a different point of view, both funny and serious. So thank you very much for that review, Andy Cuppati. Thank you, Andy. The next review has the title of Play Straight After the Omnibus. Essential listening for those of us who need to vent about the archers, but who have no fellow listeners at home. That's from Mistress Mould on Apple Podcasts, and she's in Great Britain. Thank you, Mistress Mould. And a final five-star review with the title, A Must Listen for Archers Fans. An entire community of listeners, welcoming and gentle. And that was from Singing Lynn. Again, via Apple and Singing Lynn is in the US. So you see, that goes to prove that some of you have been listening to us berating you for the last few weeks. Please keep those reviews coming. Now to Twitter, where you will find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A, so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. And as well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at at Wenlock House. And I can be found at Jberto Sanguen. And in a new development, we've both also ventured onto Blue Sky, where I am at jberto.bsky.social. And I am at wenlock.bsky.social. And of course, we are at dumdydum.bsky.social. So let's find out who has won the Twitter medals this week. Hello, it's Fry here. And now on Dumpty Dum, it's time for Tweet of the Week. Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen, and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here, reporting for duty with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen, and everyone who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. For anyone who missed the discussion last week, Skeets are the posts on Blue Sky, the app that's seen a huge influx of users fleeing the unpleasantness that is Twitter, now that X, as it is known, is more full of nastiness and clickbait. I haven't quite given up on it yet, but I feel it's coming. In both places, you can see all the best things by focusing on hashtag the archers with a capital T and a capital A. For now, here is one skeet of the week, followed by the usual Twitter medals. On Blue Sky, the award goes to Loma Lindy 12 at lomalindy12.bsky.social. I wouldn't send Ardil any cheese at the moment, Helen. Might tip him over the wedge. See what I did there? And now for the tweets. In bronze position, it's newcomer Dockamock at Amok44. Throw a blanket over the guinea pigs might be one of my most favourite phrases since Jenny Darling said there's something rather sinister about an avocado in December. Ah, Jennifer, we miss you still. The silver medal goes to Finton T, at Finton the Wrong. The Reverend Alan Frank's Guide to Life. When I'm in the horns of a dilemma, I always ask myself this one simple question. What would Goldilocks do? And the gold medal 
goes to Angela Dobb at LMS Bossy. It has Helen saying to Henry, It's about what you wrote. I didn't know you knew words like that. And for goodness sake, it's spelt with a C, not a K. Well, there's plenty of speculation about what that word is as well. But I'll leave you to read that for yourself. Well, that's it for this week. Hope to see you all on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thank you for that, Theo. And congratulations to all who are mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget, we're also on Instagram at Dumpty Dum. And we'll both be back again next week with another episode of Dumpty Dum. Well, as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support Stephen and I in so many invaluable ways. And also to the whole Dumpty Dum community, you make doing this podcast really worthwhile. And we must say thank you to Shambridge for her voices and to our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today. Now we're off to pick up our matching suits to wear to the village bonfire. So it's au revoir from me. And it's goodbye from me. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 